Welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Donahoe. You're listening to episode 125 of The Wealth Standard Radio. And we had the awesome opportunity to interview uh, an individual that's that's uh, shaking things up in the retirement income arena. And he has uh, come out with some research and has written some articles. And we're going to talk about a, uh, a white paper that he has done. And essentially, it's going against the grain uh, with the conventional wisdom in regards to financial planning. And his name is Wade Fowle. Uh, and he is just, he, he's come into our radar in the last, uh, probably year or so. Uh, but what he's done has been, uh, been remarkable. So to kind of kick it off, I have my, my, uh, my bat, my Robin to the Batman or what am I, my sight. Anyway, I have Ryan Lee here. Ryan has been on the show a number of times and, uh, it's awesome because he has such a brilliant mind and it's cool to have discussions with him, but he is joining me today. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, I've got my cape on. I'm ready to go. <laughs> you actually do look pretty sharp today. Yeah. You know what? That's when, it, when your wife dresses you, good things happen. <laughs> that is a good point. That is a good point. All right. So Ryan, I guess one of the things, uh, that I think is important to, to note here is that when we got in, when I got into what, what, uh, what we do, right. And when you were exposed to us and when you met with me a number of years ago, right, we, we of course have a a much different way of building wealth, uh, than what is taught right to the, to the general public. And that's what intrigued me. It's why we, you know, that's why parent life was created. And that's why you came on board after, you know, pursuing a career in, in the corporate world. And you know it it's, it it works right, and it's very compelling. It's very uh, important to to those that are in our stage of life. Yeah. Right. And it, there's nothing else that's out that's better. You know, and 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 looking at um you know what we do and the education that we we provide. You know, it is around that. It's around how do you use this and pretty much outperform anything else that, that's out there, which is the objective, right? What the objective is to grow wealth is to build wealth. And this is a way in which you can do it and essentially remove almost all the risk associated with building wealth that exists with the conventional strategies. Absolutely. Right? And I think what, what we talk a lot of with our clients in, in, you know, a younger stage of life is how they can utilize this concept and not only build wealth for the long term, but utilize the value of that wealth now, kind of a cash flow mentality versus a net worth mentality. Yep. And the thing is it's like in the end, you know, the idea behind income, right, is it is a byproduct, mm-hmm. right? It is a la- it's lagging, right? It's a lagging indicator. Lagging indicator, you know, when it comes to marketing or whatever, is, you know, what your performance is, what your production is, right? But there are a lot of leading indicators that create those lagging indicators. And those leading indicators, you know, is is essentially the the little performance things that you that you do. And looking at a human being and looking at what we're kind of wired to do as our society is to, you know, go out and get some education and get a job and you know, essentially we're kind of told what to do by society and that's where we have to have to fit those, you know, those boxes, right? Here's the first box where you go to elementary school. Here's the second box, middle school. Here's the third box, high school. Here's the fourth box, college. Now the fifth box is graduate school. Then after that, it's a fellowship or whatever it is. Then you get into an internship. Then you get into a career. Then you you know work your way up the ladder. I mean, there's all these different boxes that we're told to fit into. And you know, for some, maybe it works, right? But in the end, you know, it's very limiting, right? Because if you place every single person in the same set of boxes, right? Then, you know, the, the, uh, the uniqueness of the human being, right. Does not, or is not able to shine, right. Because the creativity is suppressed and the, you know, uniqueness is, is suppressed. And you get to the point where, you know, you're just doing everything because that's the way it's supposed to be done. And you're not, you're not happy. And so what we teach obviously is completely unplugging from the idea of having to build wealth and that, that box system, if you will. Uh, but it's also because of the liquidity side of things, because of, of being able to, uh, use some of the money right now is you can, do certain things to improve yourself, right? To improve your value to the world, to improve your income essentially, and n- not necessarily conform to those set of boxes, but to, in a sense, write your own destiny. And I know that you've been, you know, thinking a lot about these ideas for the past little bit, but essentially that's kind of what we're, you know, what, what we try to teach is to just I- I help individuals become better, become more valuable, to be, to be wealthier. Absolutely. And I, I love that you bring that up. I mean, I remember being in that box system that you refer to, right? And, and, you know, going to work and putting my money away in some type of a corporate savings plan, 401k ideally, right? Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I, I just, because all of my money was tied up there, I didn't see opportunities that were right in front of me all the time. But as soon as you have liquidity and access to your capital and you know that it's going to grow and you can follow a system, it's amazing how many opportunities start showing up in front of you. It's like that, the, the red van syndrome, right? If you're going to go out and buy a red car and you find the unique model and the one that you want, all of a sudden you're driving down the road and that's all you see is yep. that same color of, you know, whatever you're going to buy. So Having an opportunity fund will give you the ability to capitalize on short-term opportunities, whether it's putting your kids through school, buying real estate, starting a business, taking you know classes to improve yourself. But that fits a very certain demographic, right? Exactly. And that's not the demographic we are talking about today, yeah. right? Because this is something that we're super passionate about. But we got to the we got to the point a couple of years ago where we we started to um, see a huge flow of of inquiry by those that were not in our stage of, of life, right? Those that were, you know, in their mid to late fifties, even in their sixties and seventies, where they they understood the value of what we were talking about, but they didn't necessarily know how it would apply to them yeah. because they had accumulated their wealth already. They've already they've already had all the different check boxes. There's just maybe one little box left, right, in their in this in this, you know, in their uh, financial life, right? So they've I mean the common thing that I that I used to hear uh, still here to an extent is I wish, I mean, I wish I was 30 years younger. I wish yeah. I was 20 years younger. I wish I was 15 years. I wish I'd started this when I was, you know, 50 years ago. Right. And that, that's the thing is we came across this, uh, these type of individuals and we, we were just scraping cause we only understood, you know, how to use the financial tools in a certain way. Yeah. But a couple of years ago, we came. I came across. I was at a conference and, and came across a, a strategy that allowed us to essentially completely transform these individuals' lives with some of the tools that we have access to, and ways in which you can utilize the exact same tools but just in a different way is you're able to essentially remove again almost all of the risk associated with Wall Street, right? Which is pretty much on the minds of everybody today. I mean, yeah. it's every headline that you see is fear and anxiety and concern and, and whatever, right? Here is a solution now that, you know, it was kind of like the red van, right? Mm -hmm. We we had access to all the different ideas and terminology and products and financial products, but we didn't we didn't have the red van, right? We weren't able to see, you know, the forest for the trees, right? Yeah. So it's it's that whole idea, but we came across it and it allowed us to really understand ways in which we can, you know, essentially take the wealth that was being built by this generation and repurpose it. Uh, to maximize uh, returns, maximize income, and really remove almost all of the the negative stigmas that were out there in regards to their their concerns and anxieties. Yeah, and I, I love what you said earlier in this uh, in this podcast. You talked about a lagging indicator, right? Any investment that we invest in, we should measure its success based on what we want it to ultimately produce, which is income, right? And that's what all, you know, the people that have been building wealth, whether you're newly starting it or you've been doing it for the last 30, 40 years and you're getting ready to convert it to retirement income, we're finding out that a lot of the tools that have been pitched by, you know, traditional financial industries haven't been focused on creating income. They've been focused on growth, right? And now when people are getting ready to convert their, in, their, their assets to income, they're finding out that a lot of the risks and a lot of the, uh, the, the variables of what that income is going to be have been shifted to when they need the income the most. And so this strategy that Wade Fowl really helped organize and put together mm -hmm. is how to use cash value, the economic assurance that comes from cash value, along with the assets that you already uh, already have. So it's about combining the two resources to maximize the efficiency of your income stream. And it's such a beautiful con concept. It's not one or the other. It's using them both together to get the maximum output. Yep. And I think with Wade, you know, in this interview, you know, I think the direction it's going to go is essentially to you know, just look at what the conventional wisdom is and what people are taught, what society has told us to do. And it's essentially, you know, along with the whole corporate ladder, it's to put our money into a, a Wall Street institution through various different means, whether it's a 529 plan or a 401k or an IRA or all the other qualified plans that are out there. But essentially it would be housed by this, you know, massive beast of, of Wall Street, right? And so he goes in and I'm hoping, you know, we'll probably get into his research in regards to uh, disproving some of the conventional wisdom when it comes to turning those 
those assets into income. Because mm -hmm. right now, most advisors, they don't want people to withdraw their money. They don't want people to convert it to other financial products. They want, if they do, they lose their, they lose their income, right? Yeah. So the advice that has been perpetuated, and even in some of our training that we do for licenses and so forth, it's here is what happens in retirement. This is what percentage you take. And here's, you know, how long you take it. And here are the risks and the pros and the cons and so forth. And he basically goes in and completely blows that up just yeah. because of the state of our economy right now, which is at insanely low, artific artificially low uh, interest rates. And it's totally, th totally thro thrown this model that has been used for a long time, the Monte Carlo simulation. It's totally thrown it on its head. And he goes in and basically disproves it. But what's awesome is in, in the white paper that we'll probably uh, give out, I'll, t I'll talk about it as I'm concluding the, po uh, concluding the podcast, but this white paper essentially will disprove that model, but then give a solution that is even better than an aggressive stance on that model that has been created. So it's a, it's a really cool white paper that basically takes, you know, very analytical research from a brilliant guy and essentially says, okay, here's what's wrong and here are some solutions. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a perfect white paper and I'm sure you'll enjoy it, but stick to the end. That's where I'm going to give you the link of how to download it. Awesome. And, and I would just say is kind of a, a, the tail end there. We've been using this strategy with some of our clients and we've been able to give them um, so much more economic assurance going into retirement. We've been able to increase their income 20, 30, 40, 50 percent. Sometimes more, yeah. Sometimes more than that just by reorganizing the assets that they already have, mm -hmm. taking the assets that are all in their left pocket and kind of putting them, you know, spread between two different asset classes. Yeah. You have like those, you know, military cargo pants, right? Yeah. Where you have like, you know, the left, right, right pocket, the left pocket, this pocket. And I can't wear cargo <laughs> pants anymore. My wife says they're not stylish. I'm they're, so they're bummed. Not. They're totally out of style. <laughs> but we can at least use the metaphor. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, um, we have some really good results. I mean, you know, I was working with a client earlier this year and, you know, this client was expecting on having to work three to four more years just because the Monte Carlo simulation told them that he, they didn't have enough net worth to take the distribution to last, you know, the expected lifetime. But mm -hmm. by reorganizing their assets, he was able to retire immediately mm -hmm. this year. He had enough but he didn't have it in the right buckets to maximize income. So that's really what this is all about is maximizing the efficiency of your income stream, giving you more certainty in retirement, giving you more predictability and using that predictability to offset some of the risk that you might be taking in the market. And that's the thing is that as we kind of get, we'll get into the interview in just a minute, but you know, the, the idea behind those three to four years is profound, right? Because you look at why this, this, and I, I don't really, you know, agree with the idea of, of retirement, right? I think we should always produce. We're, we're meant to produce. Once we stop, you know, we wither, right? It's, it's not natural to, to retire, but transitioning from something that you don't like to something that you like, I understand that. And yeah. if that's your definition of retirement, great. But the idea of the three to four years is important because we're all getting older. Every single day we get older. And when we push out these golden years further and further, the less we're going to be able to enjoy them, right? Because our, our bodies um, deteriorate and they decay and we become less uh, healthy. And I mean, that's just the nature of things, right? Yeah. So looking at this distant uh, idea of, of, of retirement, any closer that we can get to it is huge. And again, my definition of retirement is different than most, but it's the idea behind, you know, not having to uh, work for, for a paycheck, right? Is having assets become your paycheck or, or having something that you don't even consider a job become your paycheck, right? Which is doing what you love. But anyway, that is a topic for another day, but we'll get to that. Cause you and I love to talk about that stuff. I'll wear my cape for that day too. Cool. I, I would hope, I would hope so. You, do, you have the Harry Potter tie on. <laughs> I do. I've got the Harry Potter tie. I just need the little so lightning get, symbol. Yeah. So if you get, yeah. So you just need the cape and wear that tie and I'll be awesome. Nice. All right, guys. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and cut to, uh, Wade's, uh, Wade's interview and then we'll, uh, we'll talk to you on the back end. Uh, today's guest is, uh, is Wade Fowl and, uh, Wade is a, essentially a, a retirement researcher and has been published in many, uh, many different uh, uh, famous websites such as, uh, such as, as Forbes and uh, MarketWatch. Uh, but he is also a, a professor at the American College and focuses on uh, retirement income. And he's also the director of retirement research at the McLean Asset Management uh, Team. So, uh, so Wade, welcome, uh, welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So, so Wade, I, I know uh, you you've kind of been making some waves uh, recently with some of the some of the things that you're publishing uh, in regards to just I don't know I, I'm not sure if you would call it a crisis, but there is of, of course a uh, a huge demand for information on retirement income just because of our uh, aging aging population you know shifting from savings mode to income mode. So you've you've done mm -hmm. quite a bit of research. 
and you know really gotten into you know just some things that uh, that may may uh, that people think are going to work that may not and it's uh, it's ruffled some feathers so why don't maybe first why don't you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about your background and then we can get into some of the the research that you've been focused on in the last uh, year or so mm-hmm. sure yeah i well i i started my career as a traditional economist i was working on national pension systems and gravitated towards personal financial planning i there was something known as a four percent rule for retirement spending and that's based on U.S. data. I have this data set for financial market returns from 20 different countries going back to 1900 and just tested how the 4% rule would work around the world. And, and that was really the starting point where that was in 2010. Since then, I really found that personal financial planning, retirement income planning is my niche and it's a new field, so there's still a lot to do and, and just focusing on research. And not well, retirement planning traditionally is more accumulation, how do you accumulate your assets? And there's been a lot less focus until recently about what you do once you reach the top of that mountain and then need to spend down your assets in retirement. So my focus has been what to do in retirement, how do you build a retirement income strategy to get to retirement? So what 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 do you what do you think? Because I know that there's you know been a, a a big response to some of your your research, which I don't know if we if, if it's good to uh, classify it as unconventional. But what is it about your research that that you know really the traditional financial planning world is is not liking? Uh, well, I guess, well, I guess kind of there's there's these two completely different schools of thought about retirement income planning and. So part of what I've done is just try to explain how these schools are different. There's, I call them probability-based and safety-first. Probability-based is generally focused more on investment portfolios. And I think what, what they don't like is, historically, with a lot of simplifying assumptions looking back at the U.S. historical record, that, that what I mentioned before, 4% of your retirement assets, you could withdraw 4%, sustain that amount over your retirement adjusting for inflation. And that would last for at least 30 years in the U.S. historical data. If you're always rebalancing your portfolio, 50 to 75% stocks, not paying any sort of fees or anything like that. And in that regard, the research I've done in that area has pointed out that actually that's not as safe of a strategy as is often considered. And especially now that we're in this low interest rate world, even though the U.S. history has you know, great depressions and things like that, we don't have much experience with such low interest rates. It was only in the early 1940s. So there's very, a very limited record to say that when you're retiring at a time where interest rates are so low, such that you are having to spend down principal as well, you can't dig yourself into a pretty dangerous hole by using something like the 4% mm. spending rule for retirement. Yeah, and that is, you know, you, you look at you, you look at just how many how many people are in the demographic that are planning on retiring uh, in the next short short term, and this this news is somewhat concerning to to them uh, because they're no longer, as you said, focused on. Well, there is that school of thought that has you know accumulation, uh, but at the same time, you know, the accumulation is. I'm, I'm assuming for most people, it's it's. Uh, you know, to to be able to stop accumulating and essentially not work anymore, uh, so that you can live off of that accumulated accumulated savings. But right now, you know, the 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 bulk of the assets, and you, you're the expert here, but the bulk of the assets that are in that kind of retirement system um, are are in this you know this this older this older generation. And so, looking at the trillions and trillions of dollars that's uh, that's essentially under management by financial services. You know, there, there. Obviously, there's a lot of people in the financial services world that rely on that money uh, to to provide for their lifestyle. The financial managers and and those companies and so forth. Um, so, so, so maybe looking at, you know, your uh, your study and your research in regards to you know this this demographic of uh, of, of baby boomers um, is is your is your is your research showing that people are open minded enough to uh, to really look at alternative strategies. Um, and do you think if, if they are, you know, there's, there's solutions to that, but if not, maybe what are the repercussions? Um, yeah, that's one, been one of my messages. And I think a lot of the readers I have are keeping an open mind about that, that as it's the U S has transitioned from a defined benefit pension world into a defined contribution pension world. 
And there's two risks that individuals take on their own when they're trying to manage their retirement in that defined contribution world using just investments. There's the longevity risk, which is not knowing how long you're going to live. And so if you manage that risk on your own, you just have to plan to live a very long time. And then there's the investment risk about portfolio volatility. It gets amplified in retirement because if you take distributions from your investments, if there's a market decline, you have to sell a bigger percentage of the remaining shares to meet that spending goal. And so to then manage that risk, you have to spend conservatively. And it's just not necessarily all that efficient to try to manage longevity and market risk completely on one's own, not pooling those types of risks at all with other individuals, which is what a defined benefit pension would do. It, it pools risks about market returns over time, and it pools longevity risks about not knowing how long any particular individual will live. And that gave everyone a pension based on earning average returns to their life expectancy. You, don't, you have to spend much less if you're trying to manage those risks on your own. So, so in, in your research, why, why, why did why did this transition happen? Why did why did you know the marketplace essentially go from defined benefit to defined contribution? Because a defined benefit was you know part of this successful equation. Why why didn't companies stick with it? Stick with that as part of their plan and go to the defined contribution strategy? Well, I I think there's a worldwide trend that pension systems don't listen to their actuaries and they either promise too high of benefits or they assume too high of future market returns. And basically, increasingly, today's leaders are not going to be the ones experiencing the problem of some, at some point in the future when that pension system runs out of money. Mm. And it just became increasingly apparent, apparent that the defined benefit pensions that had been created are not sustainable and the companies wanted to stop taking on so much risk and so increasingly would freeze their traditional defined benefit pensions, just change the structure into defined contribution where the company no longer is the one bearing those types of risks. They're, they're having their employees take on the risk of managing an investment portfolio and not making any sort of promise about what kind of benefits they'll provide because just historically they always overpromise. It's, it's easy to, if you're negotiating with workers, option one is to give them a salary increase, option two is to increase their pension. Well, it's for the company's perspective, just give them a higher pension in the future because then that leadership team will be gone by then. Hmm. And often employees went along with that as well. But at some point those bills become due. And that's been the process to move away from defined benefit now. Interesting. Yeah. So, and, and that makes, it makes sense. So the defined benefit essentially, you know, mo- most companies, if they had the option, you know, w- would an option to, to obligate themselves to something in the future, which, you know, they're not sure of their, the status of their company at that point, but yet they still, if they have a pension plan, have to basically pro- promise benefits uh, over the course of time to, to those that are underneath that umbrella. So, and then the defined contribution, I'm assuming, you know, it's, it's going into accounts, mutual funds, um, or other funds, and essentially the company is not on the hook for performance and that, and that, type, of, uh, that type of setup or structure? Right. The company is basically finished with their obligation as soon as they, they may have some sort of employer match into that. But once they've provided this year's input into the employee's account, they're, they're done with that process. They're not promising any particular future benefits. It's over and done with it. So when, when, you know, and I don't know the answer to this question, but when, when did the bulk of that change start to, to occur? I mean, this isn't, this isn't recent. Did it, was it in the eighties? Was it in the nineties? I mean, what, what time period did a lot of this shift from, from a defined benefit to divine contribution take place? Uh, that's a good question. I think a lot of it started to really get triggered in the 1980s, especially with some of the tax reforms in the 1980s. And then with, I forget exactly what year, but when someone had uncovered that it was Section 401k of the tax code that allowed for this possibility that led to the creation of our 401k system today. Okay. And And that all really accelerated in the 80s. In the '80s, so and this again, I don't know if you don't want to go on this path, then then that then that's then that's fine because I I I'm just curious. But looking at so looking at the 19 looking at the 1980s, I mean, look at the '80s and '90s. You know, maybe with exception of a few years, they, they had some pretty the the markets themselves had pretty good years. Um, would you is there do you think there's correlation 
between those good years and and this switchover, at, at least some, or or were those those years due to maybe some higher inflation and higher growth because of other things? Uh, I wouldn't think that there would have been that big a connection that it was this transition, putting more money into the markets that led to that market boom. It was just a gradual reduction in interest rates and and just natural market volatility. I, I wouldn't attribute it necessarily too much to that. To the to the, tran- to the transition. Got it. Okay. No, because that money was still being invested in a 60-40 portfolio or whatever the case may be in the defined benefit world. All right. So in the defined benefit world, there was there was still money money managed in inside of the stock market in different. Okay, and then forty percent was ma- more managed by you know actuarial type of setup like annuities or insurance, or even just bonds. I, if well, yeah, when companies offload that risk onto an insurance company, that happens on occasion. But even that, those sort of risks can be managed through an investment portfolio because of the risk pooling that, in a defined contribution world. Everyone's saving on their own. Some people would save an awful lot. Just even if everyone puts in the same amount each year, some people would end up with a huge amount at the end. Others would end up with not very much. But the company can can balance that and give everyone a benefit based on an average accumulation, which no particular individual would have accumulated on their own, but which can work out on average. And, okay, that and makes, that kind that of risk pooling is lost with defined contribution. That makes sense. Okay, so, you're, so the 60-40 you're referring to is more... 60, 60 stock, 40, 40 bonds or fixed income? Is that what you're referring to? Right, right, and that's just an example of Got it. potential different pension funds. It's all over the board what, what their asset allocations are. Got it, okay. All right, so these, so obviously, fa- you know, fast forwarding, because I just wanted to know, I, I'd, I'd always, you know, I'd always looked at kind of, it was the 80s and 90s an anomaly, right? Or is there is there a probability of that happening again? Right, and I and I think a lot of other people ask those questions as well because if you look at you know thirty and forty year averages, I mean those averages are are really, I mean they're the the eighties and nineties definitely help those those averages. And I just wanted to see if there was a correlation between the transition from, you know, defined benefits to mm-hmm. defined contribution. So okay, got th- thanks for uh, thanks for clarifying that. Um, so so maybe fast forwarding now until our our era, um, you know I think that you know the, with with the aging population. Uh, the the concern is there as as far as you know how long they're going to uh, be living when they they retire. So the longevity side of things, also the amount of money they have saved. Um, so as you as you're kind of bringing out you know the fact that maybe some of the predominant thought in regards to uh, distribution rates or what a person should take from their portfolio each year for income saying that it's not necessarily, you know, feasible or that you're taking on a lot of risk when you're assuming that, what are, what are some of the things that you're giving as alternatives or giving as advice for people to look into um, other than keeping their, mar- their money in, inside of equities or even an equity, you know, fixed income split? Mm-hmm. Well, a natural kind of starting point where a lot of the discussion can coalesce is around the idea of delaying your social security benefits. Most Americans claim as early as they can, but Social Security provides an inflation-adjusted, government-backed, guaranteed income for life. And that's a starting point. And that's, well, it's essentially Social Security is a type of annuity. So other types of income annuities where for a lump sum payment, single premium immediate annuity, you then obtain a guaranteed income for life. And, and that can help to create a floor that spending won't fall below in the future which can make retirees feel more comfortable, potentially invest a little more aggressively with the remaining assets. But that, that's kind of the starting point with all of that. It, annuitization hasn't been popular with the overall public. Social, delaying Social Security, I think only about, well, I, I've actually been looking at these numbers recently, and, and the trend's going up because now everyone's talking about Social Security, but still, it's only about less than 10% of the population waits past their full retirement age to claim Social Security, and that's, those kinds of things need to change. I think people underestimate their life expectancies. No one's planning to live beyond 75, and, and that can be a big problem, especially as longevity continues to improve. More people will live into their 80s and 90s, and for couples, when you talk about who's going to be the longest living member of that couple, that exceeds either the individuals on their own. 
Yeah, and from and from yeah, and from a lot of what from what I've seen because it is, you know, reaching that age of of seven of seventy five. Um, I mean, I think people are, are assuming they're going to live a little bit longer, but you know, just with medical technology and how that improves, I mean, kind of on a daily, on a daily basis, I mean, longevity can, can reach into mid, late, maybe even nineties, uh, potentially, mm-hmm. but you know, the decisions that are being made right now, I mean, nobody really knows. And so people just kind of, uh, revert to just conventional, I should retire at 62 or 60 at 65. Uh, and that's why they, I'm, I'm assuming that's why they're taking their social security at that, at that point. But what you're saying is that if they waited, they would have a, you know, a, a very, a, a better kind of return in a sense, as far as what they would receive in, uh, in social security benefits at, you know, age 70, let's say. Right. By delaying to 70, that the social security administration tried to make that a fair calculation that it doesn't matter what age you claim. But they did those calculations just in the early 1980s that as a part of the major reforms in 1983. At that time, interest rates were a lot higher and longevity was much less than it is today. So mm-hmm. even if that was a fair calculation in 1983, it's not fair anymore. It's, you benefit greatly by delaying page 70, at least for the higher earner in a couple. So, I mean, with that, with that being the case, well, you said only 10% are really waiting beyond re- retirement age, but clearly there's... You know that is that that is something that if you know maybe if the percentages were were higher would be would be a concern um, just from a sustainability standpoint. Um, but anyway, I mean I, I think you know you know because yeah if if eighty percent were waiting till that point, I mean that's not necessarily feasible, and them being able to pay out those benefits might be right. Might Social be, Security has funding problems already. They are problems make already. Got a lot smarter on their claiming decisions. Mm-hmm. It's going to make the trust fund run out that much quicker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, seriously. And, that, and that's, yeah, I think it, you know, we, we crossed that point, I think it was a year or so ago, maybe even longer where, you know, more, more money was coming out of, coming out of that system than, uh, than going in or, or being, uh, or being taxed. Um, but but anyway, so yeah. So looking again at, at kind of the re- retirement trends, I mean, where, where do you see where do you see things going? I mean, of course, you're making you know you're making a dent of, of sorts by saying you know that the there needs to be a rethinking of this retirement re- uh, retirement income strategy because right now I'm assuming you you probably don't think that interest rate policy is going to is going to change that much or or do you? I, I don't try to predict interest rates. That's one of the hardest things to predict. Yeah. Really, the best forecast for interest rates is that they don't change. Certainly, there's more, since interest rates are so low, more likely than not, they would increase at some point. But I don't know when or how much or anything like that. Yep, and it's a, and it's yeah, a slippery it's, slope, too. But, you know, I think that's just the case, you know, and I know we don't want to get off onto this tangent, but, you know, if, if, you know, the, the, the economy, the world economy for that matter, you know, if they could, they probably would have already done it. But right now it just, it's not, it's not sustain It's not sustainable. And that's, I think that's been seen with a lot of the FOMC minutes and, and some of the other things that Janet Yellen and, and uh, you know, that committee has said in regards to the state of the economy and not being able to, you know, if, if there was an interest rate increase, it would actually hurt things rather than help things. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, Okay, so looking at the future of, of retirement, what, so let's let's say that you know the the idea behind this four percent rule, um, you know no, nobody believes you. I mean, even though you do all the research, everybody else just kind of believes the, you know the, the the financial pundits. But what what do you what do you foresee happening? I mean, I know you're not a a, a predictor, but if we can if you know the, the society goes on this trend of of uh, with having high withdrawal rates on their accumulated savings and retirements, I mean, what's what is the what is what does that look like? Do you think that's um, do you think people will eventually catch on to what you're saying, or do you think that you know people will kind of continue on that uh, on that path that you know fo- follows the traditional financial advice that's out there? Well, yeah, maybe the reactions to that are all over the board. There's a lot of Americans who have very small portfolios who mainly rely on Social Security and or home equity. That is not really an issue. There are others. I, I, know, I know there's been surveys that say that Americans think 10% or they are spending a 10%, a 10% spending rate. That's going to cause them to run out of money in, in at least within 10 or 15 years. And uh, others, I, if... 
The, the other side of this, too, is just having flexibility to adjust spending. And even that 4% rule is meant to be a worst-case scenario. But if you have the flexibility to reduce your spending with market declines, which is something real people do, but is not built into the basic assumptions behind the 4% rule, that can make a difference, too. So somebody who is in that neighborhood of 3 or 4% can probably make that work just through some natural adjustments to their spending. And I, don't, I think that's a, very, a fairly small part of the population, to be honest. That either people don't have any assets, or there's been other research which shows that people are so worried about outliving their assets that they and they don't spend their assets, their portfolio continues to grow, and they're not really tapping into it much at all. Yeah, I guess not that's probably the anomaly, isn't the, I mean, I guess the, the, you know, the, X, the X factor or that variable that's an anomaly is, you know, what people, how they behave, what, what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, that's, right. a great, that's a great point, because the majority, I think I was, I was doing some research the other day, and, and you know, only the top 10% of, of, uh, of baby boomers have, you know, in, in the arena of $250,000 of, uh, of money inside of a, a qualified plan or a, or a defined contribution plan. And so it's, so it's not the majority by, as, as you said, so most people are going to, you mm -hmm. know, rely on second jobs or, uh, or social security for their, for their well-being and not take much uh, or any from from their retirement account. So that's a great that's a great point because there might not be a lot of a, a lot of shift in markets uh, if that's the case. Um, okay, that makes that makes sense. So so looking at maybe the you know the, the consulting advice that you're giving right now, one um, as we wrap up this interview, where where does that focus where does that focus on? Of course, you're out in the media, you're writing, you're talking about your research, but when it comes to actually practical things, like what do, what do you typically focus on with your consulting? Uh, well, I think the you know, the floor with upside or essentials versus discretionary, and I, I think a practical way, and it's come out of research where I've looked at what's the efficient frontier for retirement income. It's essentially bond funds play very unimportant roles for retirees other than for emergency, the emergency fund and that sort of thing. But you get upside growth from stocks or other aggressive investments. And then the downside protection is with income annuities because they're, they're invested in the underlying bond portfolio, but they provide what's known as mortality credits. It's this idea the income annuity can pool the risk, pay you like you live to your life expectancy, and then those who don't live as long subsidize those who live longer. So that for anyone who does live beyond life expectancy, it really helps sustain their portfolio because they're getting this big chunk of income they would not otherwise get from these subsidies from those who had passed away earlier. Okay. And that's, so to really think about that, annuitization is very, as far as I can tell, it's very unpopular with the public, but it's, that risk pooling is so valuable to retirees that, that it's important to think about building a secure basic floor to that sort of approach and through delaying social security. Okay, so you're, so you're, basic, so you're basically saying taking a portion of, of assets and, um, and, and annuitizing those, creating that kind of lifelong, lifelong stream of income as your floor, as your, you know, as, as, <laughs> as the foundation. And then in, in a, the, with the remaining amount of the portfolio, that is where you, what you meant in the beginning, where you can, you know, essentially take a little bit more risk and try to grow just because you have that floor taken care of? Right, okay. right. Now, so you said something about bonds. Just would you expand on that? Because I know that that is typically the the safe haven of, of of people, right? Where they look at a bond, and if it's a highly rated bond, right, it, it has a high probability of of paying its interest. But at the same time, you know, what what are your thoughts in regards to just you know how interest rate as interest rates rise, how that will affect you know bond. Uh, bond funds and, and bond portfolios because wouldn't that, I mean, obviously bonds you use for one or two things, you use to grow money or you use to, you know, use it for, for income. Um, but if you do use that strategy, would, is it, is it more toward the, the income side of things when you use it as a strategy with a, with a client per se? Um, yeah, so I was specifically referring to bond funds. Individual bonds are another matter, but bond funds are meant to, the reason to have them in a portfolio is to 
reduce some of the portfolio volatility. But bond funds have interest rate risk. When interest rates rise, there can be capital losses on the bond funds. And then for retirees who have to spend, they may be locking in those losses. That's what creates the, what's known as sequence of returns risk. I guess we haven't used that term yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's where, that, that amplifies investment risk. It's not just the average portfolio return, but the order of those returns. Having to sell assets at a loss, that can happen with bond funds. And so they're not really doing their job. Mm. They may be reducing portfolio volatility, but they're still allowing for that sequence of risk to cause a portfolio to deplete more quickly in retirement when distributions are being taken and to dig that hole that becomes difficult to recover from, leading to a lower sustainable spending rate. So, okay, so yeah, so sequence of returns, I mean, I think you referred to it earlier, Uh but that's when essentially when you're in that retirement income phase and you're pulling money from your assets or, or withdrawing money from your your assets, you're you're doing that during maybe down markets, or in this case with you know the bond side of things when uh, when prices uh, when prices go down, right? When interest rates go up, prices go down. Now you're in a loss position, mm-hmm. but you take a principal withdrawal. Um, you know, essentially not letting the portfolio rebound. Correct? Is that that's the sequence of return risk? Right. Right, the portfolio, the market will re- may recover, but your portfolio doesn't recover when you're already in that position of spending it down. Got it. Okay. So this is, I mean, for for most for most individuals, a lot of the the language that you're that you're talking about, it may it may seem, you know, somewhat somewhat easy for uh, you know you or I or, or some of your your research colleagues to, to talk about, but for the average individual. Um, you know, it, it could it could seem somewhat overwhelming, but you but you do you do a consistent blog. You uh, you are are sending out emails all the time with different resource uh, resources that you're putting out there. I know you wrote a uh, a pretty lengthy uh, white paper with uh, with One America that talks a lot about kind of your your theories, um, and and which makes it a little bit easier so people can become more versed in some of the language. And subsequently, more you know, more knowledgeable and educated about you know the the situation that they're in, if they you know are in this camp of those that are you know essentially preparing for retirement, building their assets, and trying to figure out what the game plan is when they do get to the top of the mountain, when they do you know decide to uh, to make the decision to to retire. So, do you want to talk maybe about just how you're some of the things you're doing to get some of your research out there into the hands of of the public, so that our listeners can uh, can plug in. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, my website is retirementresearcher.com, all one word, just retirementresearcher. And I, when I publish research articles, I do try to focus on journal financial planning because that's a resource that they provide the articles on their website free to the public, whereas other journals tend to be more closed off and you need a subscription to see them. And yeah, so that's really... I think that the main things I I have columns at Forbes and other places, but whenever I do post elsewhere, I always run some sort of notice through the retirement researcher website as well, and so that's a great place to find out about anything else going on. And you have a, and you have a you have a free email list as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. People can just sign up and get those emails. Got it. Awesome. Okay, and then yeah, so that's I mean maybe we'll have you on in the future, Wade, because I I, cause I think that. You know, as as time goes on, as as markets continue to behave the way that they have, it really is making people scratch their head, and I think uh, uh, making them <clears throat> making them want to look for alternatives, or maybe you know, if if their risk is um, is 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 logical or or not, and and I think you know the predominant thoughts out there, especially amongst financial advisors and and uh, these these money management companies is that they don't want people to be withdrawing money, right? They want they want people to keep their money there. They don't want it to shift somewhere else. Um, so that's where you know a lot of their their advice is, is around that four four percent rule because I think the research mm-hmm. is, it's out. There is some research out there that show that shows that. Um, but at the same time, you know, individuals. Uh, I think they they do want other opinions and they want uh, second second perspective so that you know they do make the right uh, the right decision. So 
Um, yeah, so I think I think you're you've been making waves, but I think a lot of what you're putting out there is is definitely giving that uh, second opinion and second perspective, so that people can really see that there's a way in which they can get what they want, but not have to take the risk of uh, of, of doing that. So, any any final words or comments before uh, before we end the show? Uh, no, just thank you. It's a pleasure talking with you about these topics. You have a lot of great questions. So thanks for the discussion. No, no problem. Yeah, like I said, we'll we'll maybe do a part two of this in the next uh, next few months if you're if you're willing. Um, but like I said, it, it's it's a topic that's becoming increasingly popular just because of how many people in this demographic are um, are are concerned or at least want more information and knowledge about it. And I think also the internet has really provided a lot of good a good research. Now there's good and bad stuff out there, so it's kind of hard to you know to uh, to get through those get through those waters and to really figure out what the truth is. But um, in the end, I think those like yourself who are you know kind of creating consistent media, consistent blog posts, consistent research, uh, that is that's what essentially rises to the top and shows those that really want to learn about what's going on, uh, that there is another, another side of things. So thank you. I mean, thank you because you, the stuff you put out is amazing and you do it for free. Uh, and you know, a lot of what you're putting in, you know, in Forbes and Barron's and other publications, uh, and the work you're doing is, is, uh, is, is unbelievable and really, really valuable. And, you know, we've, you know, as a, as a group, we've sent a lot of your you know, material out and, and encourage people to, uh, to follow you. Um, not necessarily just to 100% believe what you say, but at least to have the, you know, the contrarian or the opposite opinion or, or a, a, a second opinion, because, you know, in the end, all human beings are fallible, right? And, and who knows what, how <laughs> markets are going to behave, how, who knows what the, the volatility is going to, going to look like, you know, no one's, no one's really able to, to predict that. And, uh, and I think people are realizing that and they want to essentially be on the other side of the table if, if there is something that would cause their uh, portfolios and their planning to be at risk. So, so anyway, I appreciate you, Wade, and thank you for, for taking the time to be on. Uh, and then we'll make sure that we put all these links on, on our blog and on the, uh, on the podcast page uh, as well. well. Thank you. Okay. Have a good one. You too. So that was a good, uh, that was a good interview. Wade clearly is a, a brilliant individual. He is very analytical. He probably thinks with uh, the side of his brain that most other people don't think with. And so uh, most, some of the information may have been over your head. Uh, but as you can see, you know, the, the ideas that he's coming up with are definitely, definitely contrarian. And they, they toe the line with just what the conventional wis wisdom is. Uh, so I would highly encourage, we gave out his links already in the interview, but I would highly encourage going to his website uh, and subscribing to his, his newsletter. And he sends out probably one to two, one to two emails a week uh, just with his uh, different takes on uh, withdrawal rates and retirement income and, and so forth. And uh, so it's definitely worth at least kind of seeing the other side, other side of the coin. Now, my, my intention really with interviewing Wade, uh, because looking at the situation that the majority of people are in right now, uh, when it comes to uh, the, the stock market uh, and looking at how that kind of dictates uh, morale, it dictates consumer confidence, just when balances are up and balances are down. So, so the, the intention again was essentially to really bring out to the open the idea that, uh, you know, Wall Street right now has a, a ton of influence over uh, our society and the majority of money that's inside of Wall Street belongs to this one generation who on the top of their mind is thinking about retirement and they're trying to figure out what the best strategies are. And I have my opinions in regards to just retirement in general, but again, my, my intention with you guys is if you do have money in the market, if, if this is where, uh, you've stored some of your, your wealth, uh, you may not be a baby boomer. You may be younger, but the idea is the the influence that their financial behavior is going to have on you uh, could have a big input, impact, positive or negative, on what you do have in in the market. And so, looking at you know just the, their behavior, I think it's going to take a a turn in the next couple of years. I think it's going to it's already started, but I think it's going to start next year. Uh, next year is really. The because we I'm I'm sure you guys have heard the statistics that 10,000 people are turning 65 every single day. 
Well, next year, certain things are going to change, right? Because next year is where the first, because the baby boomer generation is from 1946 to 1964. Next year is when a lot of those baby boomers, the start at least, are going to be turning 70 and a half years old. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the the different uh, restrictions and provisions of a 401k or an IRA or any, any qualified plan, it's that at the age of 70 and a half, you're going to be forced to make withdrawals. And if you don't make withdrawals, then there are severe penalties. So what that does, it puts people in the situation of withdrawing money, uh, paying and paying taxes. Now, looking at what they're going to do, they could reinvest it. Uh, may, maybe not. Who, who knows what the behavior is going to be? But the fact of the matter is that a lot more people are going to be withdrawing money from the market next year. And what does that mean for you? It means that a lot of people are going to be selling. What are they selling? They're selling securities. If there's more selling than buying, what happens, right? And that's where you have price volatility. Not that, you know, there's enough volatility right now as it is, but next year really is that first year, seven and a half years old, where, uh, you know, where those withdrawals are going to start to be made. And then it's just going to continue on and increase from there. So my, you know, as I've looked at, you know, my interview with Wade and uh, looked at some of the things that he's, he's written, if you are in that camp where you are a, a, a baby boomer, you are preparing and it might, you might not be, you know, five years off or even 10 years off, maybe you're 15 years off, but nonetheless, getting into, you know, getting into this phase where you're starting to plan for retirement, I really start to think about the next few years because some things are going to start happening. Demographic shifts are going to occur and that's going to impact what your strategy is. So looking at, you know, one of uh, one of the things that we can offer uh, with no obligation is the the long report that Wade wrote in regards to some of the services that uh, the Paradigm Life provides, and it's essentially uh, a, a report that goes through his experience with uh, the four percent rule and what's where the conventional what the conventional wisdom is and why because of the nature of our economy right now the traditional way in which people are preparing for retirement is just not going to work. Uh, and what was cool is that with with his research getting into the content of this uh, of this white paper slash ebook uh, it, it really just spells out an optimal a, a strategy that you can implement uh, that will essentially give you the same almost the same results of more of the, as, as more of the the aggressive retirement strategies that exist out there and so reading that book is going to be very enlightening it is somewhat analytical but at least it's going to show you that uh, Wade has done his research he's really looked into the different strategies that exist that are alternatives to the conventional ones and and that is essentially going to give you options. So that that uh, that ebook, we're going to put that on a few places on our website. But right now, the link I'm going to give you uh, is just uh, paradigmlife.net forward slash Wade, W-A-D. And on there, you can download this PDF for free. We're also going to put it on our resource page eventually. So you can just go to the, the paradigmlife.net webpage and then go to the resource section. And uh, we have tons of different stuff in the resource section, but you can just search for Wade and that uh, that ebook or white paper will show up and you can download that for, uh, for free. Um, so let's, uh, let's kind of end, let's end with that. You know, this is, it's been an, a different, uh, change in directions based on some of the topics that we've discussed over the last, uh, last six months, but still it's a topic that is definitely worth paying attention to because it's going to just change. It's going to change the economy and it's going to change the way in which baby boomers, um, re- retire. I mean, and it, and it's, uh, um, I wanted to get into some of the, the weeds and some of the details, but I didn't think that was appropriate for this time, but Wade does. And a lot of his newsletter and a lot of the things that he puts out there um, gets into a lot of the details, a lot of the weeds as far as what's going to be happening. So if anything, subscribe to his podcast, or not his podcast, but subscribe to his newsletter. And when things start to shift, I'm sure he's going to be one of the first that's going to comment on it. So definitely being in his circle of influence uh, will be important for you. All right, everyone. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. It's been a uh, it's been an interesting interview. Hope you got a lot out of it. And again, the resource that we're going to give out for free uh, is uh, his, uh, I think it's like a 50 page, 50 page ebook uh, or article. And you can access that on our webpage, which is uh, paradigmlife.net forward slash Wade. Okay. That's it for today. Talk to you guys next time. You've been listening to Patrick Donahoe on the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard for everything financial. Thank you for listening. 